Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Carly Klassen, Linda Busatil, and Ken Yi Chu. They are three new members of City Council and the subjects of this second part of a two-part recap, which is taken from interviews done on Open Source's Guelph with the new councillors. So next week, Council will be having their meeting to confirm the 2023 budget, which on the surface seems like a relatively ordinary and straightforward procedure, but this may be a pretty big hint at the challenges that are coming for the members of City Council, both old and new. Those new members have already faced some pretty big challenges in their first few months of council business, so recapping that work does seem like a good place to begin before next week's rather consequential meeting. So getting to know more of the new players on council is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. So on this episode of the podcast, we're going to play interviews with the new councillors from the even-numbered wards, starting with Carly Klassen of Ward 2. Klassen will talk about standing out in the very competitive Ward 2 race in last year's election, how she's embedded herself as a community leader, and her first few weeks as the sitting councillor. We also talked about the emergence of Bill 23 and how that's impacted the job description and responsibilities of being a city councillor, plus her reaction to a staff admission at a planning meeting about a developer pulling a complete application after the provincial government announced Bill 23. And finally, we discussed Klassen's concerns about local democracy, collaborating with the community, and the recent renaissance of root sellers in the ward. We will also talk to Ward 4 Councillor Linda Busatil, who will tell us about her transition experience from her time on the school board, improving the representation of Ward 4 at City Hall, and the ways she wants to change the job. We also talked about her thoughts about Bill 23 and its impact on council business, how the legislation doesn't tackle the affordability issue, and how it also undermines the proverbial toolbox for City Council to solve problems. And then finally... She will talk about her committee work as a councillor, her concerns about the future strategic plan work, and the intricacies of a specific planning proposal around a property at 140 Hedati Road. And last, but certainly not least, we've got Ken Yi Chu, the new Ward 6 councillor. He'll talk about the campaign strategy that led him to upsetting the near-certain re-election of an incumbent in his ward, the political makeup of Ward 6, and what kind of change they he thinks they were looking for when they opted to vote for him instead of Mark McKinnon. From there, we will talk about Bill 23 from his perspective as a councillor and as a municipal planner, and why the legislation will create as much stress among city staff as it will amongst the community. And finally, we will talk about his prep work for the 2023 budget, his other plans for the new year, and his concerns about the separation of South Guelph from the rest of town in the new federal riding maps. So I caught up with both Carly Klassen, Linda Busatil, and Ken Yi Chu late last year via Zoom. Okay, Carly Klassen, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, first, uh, we're going to talk a bit about what happened at Council this week, and then we'll get into some more general stuff. So just uh, in terms of this week's meeting and tackling Bill 23 and, and all its implications, uh, are you worried? And I did hear another Ward 2 uh, council candidate say this. Um, <laughs> are you worried that this is not the job you signed up for, that uh, the province has changed the game before it's even like begun to be played? 
Yeah, I certainly think that I I didn't realize that I was signing up for for this level of change. And to be fair, I don't think anybody did. Um, it, it's it feels a bit like a trial by fire. I think one of my other colleagues said something like that. And yeah, it's it's concerning. It's frustrating. It's it's hard to like jump into a new role in any in any job, but then to also have the rules of engagement change sort of under your feet, but also have such um, opposition to it and and not just at the local level here in Guelph, but beyond and into other municipalities where there's a lot of people sort of still unclear about what these changes are going to mean for our work. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's again, and, you know, I'm still learning what our work is. So um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's challenging. And I think not only is it challenging for us, but it's, it's challenging for us to communicate with our residents. And um, we don't actually know necessarily what all the implications of the changes will, will mean yet. Um, but as as we kind of we voted yesterday i mean we are as it stands we aren't supporting the legislation as a council um i think that there needs to be some major changes to how it's currently written for it to um serve its serve what it's attempting to um to do right uh, I did note that for people who maybe weren't following along, the uh, the recommendation was changed to um, from a kind of friendly, hey, can we have some more time to engage with you to uh, no, we don't like this at all, which um, passed unanimously. And maybe it's because of the new new the, the new council composition, too. But uh, there, it was a bit surprising to me as a as an observer the unanimity as we were discussing beforehand um because usually there's at least one or two people who are like oh i don't know are we being a bit too harsh with our language that was um interesting yeah and and you know you have you know i've watched a lot of city council meetings and and you're right there's always a couple of people who are holding back but i mean you know i learned a new word this week which was omnibus um <laughs> And when you have a bill that has so many different elements that change so many different, the work of just so many different departments, um, it's it's overwhelming. Like you all of a sudden, I think that this is what we were hearing from staff as well. And when we were reading the reports, it came through loudly and from every department, there was not a shred of like, oh, this, is, this will be good. Um, there was so much... Um, from not just staff, but from residents, people coming forward and saying, hey, this is really concerning for a number of reasons. And uh, there wasn't there wasn't one area where we were, we were, or I think somebody actually mentioned something like shifting the Ontario building code to um, reflect more closely the Canadian building code. That was the only kind of thing that people were like, oh yeah, no, that would probably be, that would be good. I think that was like the one little piece that I wrote down and I was like, oh, asterisks, like this, this is a good, a good piece. Um, but no, there was, there's there's a lot of concern. And so I think, you know, as it reflects on council, when, you know, all of the people who are informing how we are making decisions are coming to us and, and expressing their concerns. Um, and it's a wide range of concerns from how people do their jobs every day, 
um, how much, you know, for example, if we need to increase how quickly we approve per building permits, well, we need more staff and that's going to cost more money. And who is the money coming from? It's coming from the taxpayer. If we strip away um, greenbelt lands, who who is going to suffer long term? You know, if if we it's it's going to be us. And um, I think everybody kind of came together and 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 also realize, and it was interesting to see as well. Um, we had a, a local developer from Fusion Homes. He he joined us, and I think what what he added was really important because it's not clear how exactly it's going to speed up development, especially when the major concerns for developers right now are around labor shortages and supply chain issues. Um, you know the the. The bill certainly addresses different parts of how city staff do their jobs, um, mm. but it doesn't actually address how to uh, speed up development from the private sector perspective. And, you know, again, that's not really something that it had, was, was really addressed. And um, yeah, I think that there's so many parts of it that, that have, that need to be worked on. And another concerning element is just the fact that, that not everybody was invited to the table. So AMO, mm. uh, the Association of, Mi of Municipalities of Ontario, uh, were not allowed to um, join the committee that was reviewing the bill. And not having their voice at the table sends a pretty clear sign that they're not welcome at the table. And so when you're excluding people from, from the conversation, in my mind, you're also excluding from people from the democratic process. And I think that's where we need to focus our attention is on the fact that, you know, a lot of this legislation is taking away people's fundamental rights and, and it needs to be talked about. Um, we talked about it a little bit with the use of the notwithstanding clause and taking away um, people's ability to protest. And that's one of our fundamental rights and freedoms. And in my mind, there was no reason to use that clause because it's not like there was a crisis on hand. It wasn't that schools were closed for an extended period of time or that protesters were violent. It was, it was a clear premeditated move by the government to to stifle their voices. And I think that we're kind of seeing some of that same um, strategy applied here with um, with Bill 23 and Bill 109. And it's so it's really important that people people keep talking and that they don't let this sort of slip through without um, consideration because the only reason we're going to, well, the only way we'll get people to listen is if everybody starts to raise their voice. Um, because really at the end of the day, they do reflect us and the Ontario government probably would like to get reelected again. The conservatives would like to get reelected. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I'm, I'm listening to all that and it, it sort of reflected your, your comments in the meeting. Um, I mean, because a lot of this is about changing to planning rules and, you know, building code and heritage acts and things like that. But there is a fundamental question of, you know, the the impact on democracy. And I, I appreciate that staff is trying to, you know, their role is to kind of stay on top of the rules. But it is also probably more in the realm of council to be looking at the bigger picture, which is like, what is the impact on public engagement? And um inviting the public to have a, a voice when when changes are made certainly yes and um 
yeah, I think we we've we've encouraged like in from War Two's perspective, anyways. Um, some, but Rodrigo and I definitely both shared how people could get involved and and how they could find out more information and participate in the meetings because really, I think that I I mean, and maybe I'm wrong here, but something that I learned during during the campaigning process was that not not pe- people don't necessarily see themselves reflected in government all of the time, but government is truly a reflection of us. So by not participating and by being quiet, you're also sending a different type of message, which is do whatever you want. Like I'm not engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when that happens over a long period of time is when you start to get like sort of, you know, more totalitarian type legislation that, that comes through. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we all have to, we all have our part to play. Um, voting is just that first step, right? And now we all have to kind of bring our, our voices to this because I think fundamentally, and, and I hope that this is what it comes down to, honestly, is that we need to work together as a community and not just a small community at the municipal level, but at the provincial level and at the federal level as a country to build more housing and to also ensure that because the supply also influences the demand, right? So it's... Mm. It's it it is something that it, it can't just be one it can't just be fully downloaded onto the municipalities it can't just be the province writing the legislation it, like we all need to be part of this conversation and um it, because there you know like again if you want to zoom all the way out the the like the federal government has announced that they want to bring in I can't remember the number but quite a lot of immigrants to our country in the next 20 years. And so if we don't have housing for the people who already live here, as we welcome new people to this country, it's going to get worse. So I think that, you know, I think my pragmatic self is going to say, this is going to be a conversation starter to make sure that, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're building more homes um, and that we're looking at creative ways to build infill and to build, you know, different densities within, within city limits. And if really that's the conversation that we need to have, like, I I really think that's the heart of it. The legislation I, I feel like is maybe a bit too much, um, but if we can have honest conversations and come to the table together and find ways to make make these things happen, um, I, I think then then that's really the goal, really. Um, and we need to have. And again, my pragmatic self is saying like, this is just the start of the conversation. It doesn't just because this legislation we oppose it, regardless of what the outcome is of the legislation, we still have to work together and move forward. And 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 how do we come to terms with with, you know, these new rules, um, and also continue to build because, um, we, we need to, um, Hmm. I, I, I hate to say it, like, it's not, um, I think there's a smart way to build. And I think that they're looking at different and innovative ways so that we're not just sprawling into the green belt. Like we have land, Hmm. we have, there is available land here. Um, I, I think that that's really, again, (laughs) <laughs> I'm going back to my thing. I think we got to talk. We got to keep, keep talking about it. Um, but we can't keep talking about, we can't have constructive conversations if all of our time is being taken up by reviewing really intense legislation and trying to figure out how that's going to impact all of our jobs. We right. need to be able to focus on the task at hand. Um, 
Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, and this is something I picked up at the meeting, and I sometimes get obsessed with these like little details that are just like sort of spit out in the course of a meeting. But I, I think this is key. Um, I think it was um, Crystal Walke who mentioned that there was somebody who had filed an application, uh, a planning application, withdrew it after this legislation was introduced, um, perhaps in the idea that they're going to have an easier time once the legislation is passed. And of course, that doesn't help the getting more units active if people are holding back waiting for changes that may take months to to enact so is is that concerning for you that maybe some developers in our area are playing that long game yeah it is it is it is concerning um i we have and i think that this was discussed in the meeting as well Guelph is an attractive place to live because of the services and the type of city that it is. It's a very livable city. There's lots of green spaces. There could, should be more of a tree canopy and we're working towards that. But we have these goals that have been set, like having an extended canopy. If we don't, if we're not building those into our new developments, then we're actually operating at a deficit. And I, I think that it's, developers make money like mm. they make money like they do and you they might just build homes but they're also like people have to live in those homes so if you're just building you know the building and then not giving a crap about the the landscaping around it i mean are you building are you building are you building like homes or or so, are you building something else and i think that hopefully that that example is concerning but I hope that developers will still come to the table with with plans, with site plans that are well developed, that reflect the community and that reflect a place like that they understand Guelph and why people want to live here. Like, again, I, I want to be optimistic about it. And I also I, sh I what I would say to those people is just is is move forward we have to we have we have to build um like i'm not really sure like if you don't have to add like five trees and some grass like is that gonna in impact your bottom line that significantly like i actually think that dragging out your timeline is probably going to have more of an impact on your bottom line because everything seemingly is still getting more and more expensive every day um so i just don't see like I mean, again, unless this legislation and I'm missing it completely, like if they're going to save like more than a like a thousand dollars on a couple of trees, like I just it seems also like um, kind of short sighted as well. Like and then also that is still going to fall to the city because people are going to want parks and places to play and 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 green spaces so that they can, you know, they can bring their dogs outside like it. I, I hope that I hope that that's not the direction that you know developers are just going to kind of come in and slap up the building and mm. and then leave it half incomplete, right? Like I, I don't think so. I think that I, again, and maybe that example, I didn't hear all of the details of why they pulled out of their their per like I don't know all right. of the text. Right. Like are they are did they pull back because they actually want to put on like four more stories? Mm. Um, because that would change things. Right. significantly right like if they're if they're inside of that like that transportation hub area and originally they went in with a proposal that was again i'm making this this example <laughs> up but if they i don't know all the details i didn't read the report of that of that part specifically of the pullback that wasn't available to me and maybe i could clarify with krista krista but 
if it was in that area, and that is an, an area that is identified as um, a place now that can have higher density, then perhaps their plan will change. Right. Um, because again, it, it, there's a difference between landscaping and like four or five extra stories on your building, um, which in itself, again, if the rules change and they propose something slightly different and it actually has more units, isn't that also something that potentially could be beneficial? So it's it's all about how you frame these conversations, right? Right, right, right. Context is everything. And I feel like I didn't have all the details, Adam. So <laughs> I hope that I answered your question without, uh, without, um, yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's talk about um, winning an election then. Um, oh, sure. You, you, you won uh, with two, about 2000 more votes than your nearest competitor. So you win like you, you won like pretty handily. So I guess, you know, War 2 has put a lot of confidence in you. And I guess, uh, to what do you con- uh, attribute that? Where does the, the faith and credit of, of War 2 come come from in terms of endorsing you as a new city councillor? Yeah, um, it's, it's funny. Yeah, I've ta- had a couple conversations like this after the election. So I think... Going into it, I I already have a background like in I've I've been on a few boards and I've worked with people in the community and through my work also as a small business owner downtown I've 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 got to know a lot of people and I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different people um, to accomplish different things. So sometimes it's about you know trying to build a new library and sometimes it's about you know trying to sell more soaps or <laughs> things like that. So I've I've been connected to a lot of people in different capacities. And I think that being like uh, like an actual participating member of the community in so many different ways probably put me on a lot of different people's radar, first of all. Um and then second of all, like I I I think um I got to the door a lot. I, I talked to a lot of people and I spent a lot of the time listening to people and think that this is a big, this is really important is that I, I think in any part of your life, it doesn't matter if it's an election or if it's something else, you need to show up and you, you need to listen. Like you can't, you can't go in and start telling people how, how bad things are and how you're going to make everything better. There's already so many people doing such great work around, around us. And I just am part of that, that ecosystem. And I, I know my, my role in things and, and, and I'm, I feel really lucky that during the the campaigning process, I met so many people and, and I think one of my very first conversations, it was like a street over from where I live. I, I knocked on a woman's door and the woman was like, I know your aunt and I'm a former teacher and I know your uncle because you used to, te- I used to teach with him. And also here's all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm doing a, like a, a clothing drive for Onward Willow where um, I'm, I'm trying to put together this like group, a new group of people to come to a hundred women who give. And this is, this is how I help. And maybe you can help me do with some of these things too. And that was like the, one of the first conversations I had. And I was like, this is this community. Like, this is like, you know, there's like many people doing good things and, and I just need to, I just need to help to 
be part of like connect people and talk to people and, and also just make sure that people are being heard. Like I'm not like an expert in anything. And I think that I've been very clear about that. Like I didn't come into this election being like, Oh, I, I will clean up the down, like downtown. That's, that wasn't it. I know that there's a lot of people doing tons of work back behind the scenes, trying to like, we live in a complex society and we have to all work together to be able to accomplish work. And if, if, and if anything I've learned is that you need, you need a leader who is also willing to be a team player and who will show up and do the work because, um, we are, we live here, you know, like, and, and people were very, like, we're very visible. And mm. I, I, I think that what I just did was, was meet people where they were and, and, sh- and then share some of my hopes and, and also just to make, you know, I'm not going to be the one doing all of the work. It's, it's at all, it's going to just be about making sure that when people email me that I answer their questions and, and, and then try to do what I can as honestly and, and openly as possible. Um, I, 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 I don't know everything and, but I am willing to try to communicate with people about, about things because I think at the end of the day, we just all want to be heard and we all want to participate in some way. And we all have different understandings of, of how to do that. And, um, and I think that, yeah, we, I think often, and I, and I will just echo, I'll just echo one thing, which is we all, we love Guelph. And I echo that back to people is, you know, this is a great place. Now, how, how could we make it a little bit better? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to comment on something because uh, I saw it on your social media and then it kind of blew up and everyone was talking about it. Uh, what's going on with root sellers? Everybody's talking about root sellers now. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, so Ian Finley, who is a former city councilor, I met him during the campaign. He, he um, I honestly hadn't really been thinking about root sellers for any, any important part of my life. But I went uh, to, there was the Emerge Eco Market that was happening at Old Quebec Street Mall. And I went in there and I saw Ian and I was like, what do you, like, hey, what's up? And he was like, oh, I'm tabling here because I have this, this small company called Woodside Root Sellers. And um, I think it came to be through, I think it was a federal grant and there's like, I think it's connected to the circular food economy and a lot of the work that's being done there. And he kind of gave me like a rundown on, on it. And I was just genuinely interested because like I grew up with root sellers, my grandparents had one and they had this little room and they stored their wine and like all these little things under there. But like, as I grew up, I never, you know, we didn't use one at home and but but then I moved to a house that has a dug like it's a it's like a dirt floor and mm. it's just this, like weird little room in my basement and I was like I was like this is so cool Ian like maybe one day you can tell me how to fix my root cellar and then um, he invited me to the grand the grand opening of a root cellar just around the corner from me on Ontario Street uh, which was built for uh, the Two Rivers neighborhood group and. Um, I got to see like, you know, the work they did there. And 
I think what's really interesting about, about, I guess, fruit sellers, that's what my grandmother would call it. Okay. Mm. Fruit seller or root seller um, is that it kind of connects us back to how people used to store food and have a more sustainable approach to eating. And so people didn't, we didn't get tons of imports from, you know, faraway places for like Costa Rica or Mexico for our fruits and veggies. Like we didn't have that same level of, of um, connection through globalization. So you had to preserve everything. You had to think about, okay, what, how can I eat throughout the winter and not die? Um, <laughs> really, like it's honestly fundamentally that not go hungry. Um, and so they would preserve all these foods in, in different ways. And what I really liked about it is that I think it connects to a few really important themes that we're seeing right now, which is um, food security is an issue, right? And food is getting more and more expensive. And especially when we're importing it from different places, that's when we start to have to pay extra uh, tariffs on top of things. But if we are buying food from, you know, the farm, like from farms that are just in Wellington County, and we're able to, during the harvest, um, take large quantities of food like tomatoes or fruits and preserve them and then save them in places like root cellars, well, then that also creates a more sustainable food economy for us. Um, and it's interesting how... Um, our grandparents and, you know, I always say my grandparents because they're the ones who kind of I learned some of these things from um, they 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 had those ways of being um, sort of there was a natural way for them to do things. They would store potatoes in the fruit cellar. They would have beans. They would have all of these little uh, food stores that would over the winter sustain them. And I think that the last 50 years with the shift towards global, a more global food economy, we've, I personally, to be honest, I feel like I completely lost touch with that because I would just get all of my food from grocery stores for, for a good part of my, especially when I was like in university and like learning how to be an adult. Uh, I, I, I found it, I found it quite, quite, you know, like I was a bit disconnected fully. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have anywhere to store food when you're living in an apartment or a tiny place. And um, so really, I think it was about like, I felt more connected to like, you know, I knew I had like a glimmer of like how to like do some of these things. And then when I heard about Ian's work, and then I have this like new space, I was like, oh, this is something, this is an important theme. We need to go. And, and I think I talked about this during the, the, the canvassing and campaigning as well, which is like, there's a lot of things that we do that are seen as modern, but they're not very sustainable. And so things that were seen as old ways or, or like things that our grandparents did are actually extremely sustainable ways of living. Mm. Um, and it's, I think as things get more expensive, we see food prices going up. It's not just food, it's everything. Corporations are getting richer and then the average person is is not. Like we have, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel like my budget isn't the same as it was a few years ago. Mm. Uh, and, and, and maybe that's not the same for everyone, but certainly it's something that I'm hearing around town is, is affordability and across Canada too. It's not just, not just in Guelph. Um, and so I think that like being more sustainable with our food choices is, is something that we can a save ourselves a bit of money on, but it also, 
um, gives like gives us a better um, economy for our food. And 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 really, like if we want to live in a cold place, like that's <laughs> that's how we should be thinking, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not as sustainable to be shipping in all of our food all the time. It's just not. It's just, you know, it costs a lot of money. It takes fossil fuels when you have things delivered to your to your home. Every time you have a delivery made to your house, you know, it's contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. And um, if we buy like, you know, four crates of tomatoes once a year and make enough tomato sauce to feed us for the entire year, that's like one less thing. That's like one less thing that you have to pay Um pay for. And I think if we can, you know, take baby set steps towards, you know, doing more sustainable things and, you know, maybe like having a functional root cellar or fruit cellar is a couple years out for me. I'm still in the like learning how to preserve foods. And <laughs> um, I've done a bit of it. We finally, like I, during the pandemic, I will say I preserved tons of stuff and I've only just got through 2020s stash um so <laughs> it works the yeah. system works oh yeah well, that was a bit rambly but no no um i could talk about root sellers all day as everyone knows but uh we do have to, <laughs> to wrap up uh so uh, i'm gonna ask you to uh give people your contact your official city councilor contact information if they want to reach out to you yeah, for sure. You can email me at carly.classen at guelph.ca. That's C-A-R-L-Y dot K-L-A-S-S-E-N at guelph.ca. You can find me on Twitter, um, Carly Classen, all one one word. Or you can find me on Instagram, Carly, M as in Mary, S as in Spring, Classen, um, Carly MS Classen on Instagram. Perfect. Well, Carly, I, I appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time away from the root cellar, and uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on things on City Council and have you on again soon. So thanks okay. for coming on. Thanks, Adam. Okay, Linda Busatil, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Good morning, my pleasure. Uh, why don't we start with? Uh, oh, I, I I just want to mention uh, before we we get into questions, we're coming to everyone live from the Quattro today. Uh, shout back, sh- uh, throwback to election night. Still trying to get that started, but moving on. Um, just generally about yourself and uh, adjusting to life on city council. You know, you're coming from school board. It'd be kind of the same thing, but uh, a little bit different. Um, how are you finding that transition from all that, all those years of work and experience in in one setting and and coming over to this new one? Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to start first with the similarities. There are many regulations uh, that come down from the provincial government that you have to respond to sometimes, you know, very quickly. And regulations like, you know, a balanced budget is a requirement in education as it is in the municipality. Some of the things that are different are more the procedural, you know, the rules of order and the culture of the organization, um, you know, just at meetings. 
And I would say a big adjustment is, you know, technology, you know, making sure emails work that weren't working. And, you know, the cell phone number that I was given was the wrong number, you know, things like that um, operationally. Um, and I think we've got a really good uh, team of counsel. I think we're going to work together well, just as we did in the school board to make things happen in the city. Good. Then um, can you talk a bit then about how maybe you want to sort of change things up um, just on, on like your representational level? Um, and, and also maybe some of those challenges, uh, we're getting a peek at what the workload is going to look like, and, you know, under normal circumstances, maybe it'd be a bit lighter in November, December. Uh, as as counselors get adjusted, that did not happen. Um, but you know, you have your fingers in many pies. So um, you know how I guess I guess how how goes balancing all all of that? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the technology <laughs> behind merging calendars. Home, you know, council and and you know other you know people in the household uh, haven't quite figured that out merging you know the technology of calendars but in terms of workload uh, when I was with the school board I dedicated a certain number of days a week to the work of council uh, to the work of the school board and same for council uh, you know I've been uh, elected to the uh, public health unit that I'm really looking forward to so I need to organize my schedule around not just the meeting time but really understanding the materials and delving into that so some of that will be done over the holidays mm -hmm. and I and I think the biggest thing that I would like to do is in in my role as city councilor is really connect with the community in ward four and uh, you know, I've had um, meetings with the city clerk to really map out the cycles of decision making that come to council, whether it's budget and so on, so that I can organize in person and virtual uh, town halls and opportunities for uh, individuals to become engaged and ask questions face to face in person. The other thing I think that I'm trying to do here in, in Ward 4 is create, and it was done um, kind of before with uh, previous Ward 4 counselors, is some kind of a newsletter, information mm -hmm. in your inbox, uh, website, really get out there. And I'm hoping that I can carve out my time and those cycles uh, to, really, to really engage with people. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start getting into some issues uh we've had a couple of meetings under our belt now and i want to start with what happened on tuesday at the planning meeting with um the the statutory meeting around uh what the, the development at redevelopment i should say at 140 Haddadi road um there was a lot of uh organized community effort to uh i guess to to oppose the project um there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um i guess options about what can be done that would I guess, hold on to the things that the neighborhood wants while doing things that the developer wants, but just generally, what were kind of your takeaways from that debate? Uh, and, and again, it wasn't a decision meeting. It was an information right. statutory meeting, which I completely understand. And I really appreciate the community coming together to share their concerns. And again, you know, as a new counselor, uh, the lens is at what are the tools that we are given to evaluate this proposal? And I think you heard from some of the other counselors more eloquently than I will probably say now is about the uh, density, the proposed density on that site. 
uh, things like parking and traffic. And I did, you know, I have driven out to that area and gone around the neighborhood to look at that. And that is a concern. And the concern also raised by, you know, wearing my school board hat from parents about crossing and safety of crossing and part of the circulation I would assume that the Wellington Catholic School Board Planning Department would comment on uh, this development proposal um, and so I you know it's interesting because as a new council we've got this you know housing 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 but I think you uh, the tools that we had in the past around density and parking and so on. As a new counselor, I'm waiting for additional information from staff around, you know, regulations that we're waiting for around bills. Have those been dulled in some way by the provincial government that parking isn't, you know, we're not able to, to use that as a criteria. I mm -hmm. do feel, um, aligned with the community about in the type of intensification and all those other kinds of uh, issues. I did raise the issue too of, of um, alternative means of transportation and storage for bikes and electric bikes. Mm. Uh, that is something that I heard during the campaign from residents. Is that a safe place to park my electric bike should, you know, in a, in a development? And the other one is around the quality of, of living. We talk about, you know, housing, 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 but also about the well-being. So, you know, a place to put a toboggan or a sled for kids and those kinds of things. So it's not just about a place to put your head down. It's about having space, a community space also for uh, enjoying the quality of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot to balance on its own. Um, and I'm wondering your thoughts about how and granted, we still don't know what the full impacts and and bill of Bill Twenty Three is going to be. And I think it was said last night that uh, you know we they're still drawing up the regulations <laughs> for some of the things that change in Bill Twenty Three. But uh, it it feels, and just from my point of view, and maybe you can comment on it, is we have a real crunch coming where we have communities who have very strong opinions and visceral concerns when like any neighborhood change it doesn't matter how big or how small um but then when a change like this comes forward and given the fact that kind of the new rules under bill 23 kind of put the ball on the court of developers to be as bad or be as magnanimous as they want to be and then there's this third thing that i noted and maybe you noted it too um coming out of the the workshop on planning that um we're not going to have like the same level of detail when these plans come forward. Like we have these lovely concept drawings, like no matter how you feel about the development, it looks certainly looks pretty when it's on paper. Um, but, you know, in terms of like giving, you know, this council or the media or area residents an idea of what stuff looks like, maybe we're not going to have that in the future. And so we've kind of, well, not we, but the provincial government has kind of created this perfect storm where it's, um, the, these sorts of meetings, I don't think, are going to become much easier um, when the full regulations go into effect. Yeah, I'm going to start with the, with the community. One of the things that I did hear from the community is that they're not opposed to development. <clears throat> Two things, not opposed to development, and that there was also a need for, you know, community kind, uh, kind of um, uh, amenity, 
you know, a, a store, a restaurant, some kind of um, local, local uh, commercial establishment. Hang that out. is not something that we can't require, but right. in, in some ways that creates, you know, the, the culture of that, of that neighborhood is, Hey, you know, I'll see you at such mm-hmm. and such a place. That's not something we have control over uh, as city council. I did hear that the, that the residents were not opposed to development. And I think, you know, bill 23, when I think about as a city councillor or the staff more so that respond to development application, their toolbox, you know, many of those tools have been removed through Bill 23. We don't have all those details. And when you speak about the site plan, what it looks like, you know, and that's why we're waiting for more details on Bill 23. There's even less there to respond to and say, you know, and you aptly pointed out it's on the kindness and the goodwill of the developer to say, yeah, we'll keep the trees. Yeah, we'll 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 include some green space. Yes, we'll do that. Um, and I think you know, I think Guelph and developers have good relationships, and just to build on that goodwill, given that you know the stick isn't there anymore for right. staff. So, so a couple of things. I you know around Hadadi, absolutely. I think. Uh, you know, th- what I heard from the delegations is that they recognize there's a need for housing, sad about the commercial uh, loss of commercial venue, uh, but it's about the intensification. The question that you've raised, I don't know right now what tools we have to say, n- not that that degree of density. When I compare that to the presentation that came from the, you know, the former White Rose property, mm. In terms of process, again, there was a conversation with the community. There was a conversation with the city councillors to talk about suitability there, meeting the need and also the commercial need in that area. So it's about how you get there. And I think it goes back to that goodwill and the relationship with the developers. Also, it's kind of two very different circumstances, too. The, that, that lot on Edinburgh Road you're talking about has been empty for I want to say a at least time. eight years. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's certainly a difference there between uh, a site that's kind of vacant and open, you know, it's, you got John F. Ross nearby and then you go further up the road. It's a graveyard. You go a little further up the road. It's, you know, commercial and industrial. Um, but, you know, this is plant, you know, planting something right in the middle of a, of a built up area. And, and I, f- I feel like these are the things, these are the files that are, going to be the most emotional, the most divisive going forward is when a developer comes into an area that has this comparatively like small lot and is going to propose something that no matter what the neighborhood is going to have a visceral reaction to no matter, you know, as you said, everyone says we're in favor of development, but when you start talking about specifics, that's when, you know, that's when the, the irritants start arising. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> I think what I'm I'm referring to is about process. Right. Process. So yes, the sites are different. You know, absolutely the white rose versus the Hadadi. But is the process, and I, and I know in things like labor relations and negotiations, you always think about the day after. You have to live together the day after. <laughs> and so how do you create that harmony in the neighborhood or in the White Rose property and so on? 
given that there are concerns, even with the White Rose, around intensification of that area, uh, lack of amenities, and a number of... So having those conversations up front and early with the community it, it is... is is really important, that process in developing those relationships. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, I've been invited to um, uh, have a conversation with my um, uh, colleague from Ward 4 with Fusion Homes and so on. And so even though we have Bill 23, my question would be is, can we create a culture of goodwill with developers that speaks about the process of community engagement, but is there a way to insert the values as well? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's worth pointing out that there are a lot of developers who are just as confused about what can and cannot be done with Bill 23. Like a lot of the smaller developers, people who may not have uh, the outsized influence of major developers um, at the provincial level. So uh, it's a learning curve for everyone. And I guess that makes me wonder, um, how are you feeling right now sitting with the, the repercussions of all these changes, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're one person trying to stay on top of things. We know city of Guelph, <laughs> they're having, they're having to have a summit this week to, <laughs> to have a full rakeout about these things. But you know, the, 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 the sword often falls on you to, to make decisions as one of the, the 13 of council. So are, are you feeling, uh, how, how, or I guess how overwhelmed are you feeling given all this? <laughs> And, and I think, uh, you know, the, I think it was the CAO that, you know, said something like trying to take a drink of water from a fire hose, right? <laughs> this, this, um, you know, there is the Planning Act and all those other things. And now there are changes to that. So, you know, just trying to get on top of things. As I mentioned, I think the winter holidays are going to be massive reading mm. and asking a lot of questions. And I think woven through this for me is the question of affordability. Um, and, I, you know, I, if I use that as my grounding uh, through these changes, whether it's Bill 23 or the changes to the development charges, uh, 150, um, is does it really make an impact in, and difference around affordability or, mm -hmm. you know, um, and quite honestly, at the end of the day, how much control do we have over this? You have majority provincial government that regulates and says this is the way this is going to be and i think the only thing that we have in place would be to develop those relationships with developers or to foster and and to grow and to say these are the values um and you know like a gold seal you know this is a gold seal development because it aligns with our strategic um objectives mm -hmm. and our city values um, but I'm, I'm not sure I need to get my head around that. So how do you achieve what the city wants and what we've heard from residents, what they value, given that the framework isn't there to support that? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'm, I'm taking a drink from a fire hose. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, pick your brain for a minute to some, some of the things you were getting out of the budget workshop. Um maybe help me understand because I, I i admit i was a little confused you know when you're talking about um sort of i guess putting the stamp of the new council on the strategic plan and how that feeds into all the things the city is working on including the budget i guess is is your concern uh maybe rooted in the fact that uh given like everything that's changed and that includes the composition of city council that maybe um you know this there's there should be a priority to sort of look at the strategic plan 
and um I, and I guess put that that new stamp on it, given the new reality, the new players that that there, there's a priority there as much as sort of passing the the twenty twenty three budget. Thank you for raising that. So I'm a process person. Process <laughs> matters, and if you have good process, then you have good good outcomes, whether it's planning, uh, but also in our decision at council. And and this is something that isn't new to me because even as a school board you know, chair, we decided our strategic plan, um, because there are timelines, you know, the director of education and the city, it would be the CAO's performance is determined by measurement on the strategic plan, work plan. So I understand the critical path of that. When it comes to budget, my question would be, are we arguing about or, or debating, not arguing about budget issues, or are people's mindsets really questioning the strategic plan mm, questions? Mm -hmm. And so in process, I would, just like we are confirming the budget uh, in January for a multi-year budget, as a new counselor, it would be great to have a workshop on the strategic plan so that we've had that discussion and we all nod our heads and go, yep, that's a priority. So when it comes to the budget debates, we have a common language and a common understanding. It's a process issue. I'm not looking to unravel it. And I think in the presentation last night, it was one of the slides that said, you know, you do the confirmation and then you do the strategic plan and so on and so on. Starting off now as a newly elected counselor, mm -hmm. how do we have that touch point on, I've read the strategic plan several times, how do we have that common language and understanding? The other piece to it is, as you've referenced, let's say there's a completely new mayor and council and so on in developing this process. How do you have that confirmation of the strategic plan? Okay, yeah. So I, it's a process thing. So number one is the policy and number two is the process around that going forward and even now onboarding as a city councillor, it would be great to sit around the room and have everyone nod their heads and say, yes, that 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 is my understanding. That is a priority. No, that's very, very clear. And, and I think what that makes me think of too is how much, um, and, and maybe staff are able to hold this in their head uh, a bit better than uh, council is, you know, sort of, sort of swat in the meeting environment, swatting the things that are in front of you. Um, and I, and I think Councilor O'Rourke has talked a lot about this too, is that, you know, when the strategic plan was laid out, there were sort of like four priorities. And those are sort of the four, four priorities that council should be funding first. But we kind of treat everything in a silo. We have the strategic budget, si the strategic plan silo, the budget silo, the community plan silo. And all right. of these things are sort of meant to work together, but that's kind of not how they ended up getting treated in the actual meeting space. Right. And let me, let me give you a concrete example. We don't mm. know all the details about Bill 23. Mm. And in, in budgeting, it, you speak about materiality. So mm. if, if there are changes, now we're going to have a debate on, let's say, the um, green greening, you know, the development charges and so on. We don't have all the details. But in the budget assumption, those may have lessened. So if green spaces, wetlands, our natural heritage is still a priority as it's articulated in our strategic plan. 
When it comes to the budget, given that those inputs, the bathtub, the water coming in, that was for capital. But anyway, economically, <laughs> if those have lessened, then we in our debate would say that's still a priority. We're going to move money. We agree in reallocating here. But unless we've had that conversation around that strategic priority and and we all say, yeah, natural heritage is really important to us, then when it comes to budget, we are not we are debating the strategic priority and not and not the dollars and cents. So those are getting mm -hmm. mixed up. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion, you know, it didn't come out very clearly. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it was, you know, there needs to be that that piece is just what was my suggestion. Right. We kind of need to see, or I guess maybe look at value in a new way, because I mean, we're kind of guilty of this in the media, too. We look at the numbers. We don't necessarily look at the value. Right. So it, picture us, we're going to be debating, you know, there's a shortage of funding for parkland and, and natural heritage and so on. Um, and so now there's an argument about, you know, reallocating from somewhere else. That is, that is a strategic uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. The budget should go faster because we've already had alignment and discussion around, yes, that is still a priority for us. And we will look to, um, doing that during the budget process. I don't know if that makes it clear, but in my mind, that's the process. Uh, no, I think that was clear. Um, and, and it, it, you know, I think that uh, it's probably going to be a, a discussion we should be having, um, especially in the wake of, of bill 23. And, and I think uh, all of the, the, the sort of downloading that I think is inevitably going to happen and people have to understand, I guess, what the root of that is and not just look at the, you know, 3.67% levy increase and and understand like yeah you know, I think people understand the personal impact on them but not necessarily understand the the impact on the corporation or the services they get or the the development they want or you know, a myriad of other things so I guess maybe that's something we all have to work on together and I think selfishly myself as as you know a newly elected <laughs> councillor, I went out there holding up you know the the city of Guelph as a village of a hundred you mm. know that you know this is what it's going to look like selfishly you know <laughs> I'm not looking forward to in the new year going back out and going actually you know <laughs> because of of you know things outside of our control. Um, this is what it's not going to look like anymore. Right. And so my, uh, you know, has part of this process is if this is what we value, how do we adjust to, to maintain that? Well, I know what is inside our control, which is uh, our contact information. So if you could uh, share with the listeners how they can reach you, uh, if uh, if they want to talk some more about any of this, how can people find Linda Busatil uh, out there? Absolutely. So uh, my city of Guelph councillor number is 226-332-5405. Uh, my email is linda.busatil at guelph.ca and it's available on the city website. I do have a Twitter, which is l my first initial and my last name, Buzatil, and my Facebook still, I, you know, even during the campaign, I very weak <laughs> at Facebook. It's on my list, my learning objectives uh, to be become more active there. And then once I get going, um, I'm setting up a um, ward for 
newsletter, an award for kind of blog and website. And I'm going to have a conversation with my Ward 4 colleague about the best way to get information out. And we're going to try to push that out and network that out. Perfect. Well, we appreciate your time today. And uh, Linda Busatil, we, uh, speaking for Scotty and myself and our listeners, we look forward to many more chats. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, Ken Yi Chu, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, I want to talk about some post-election stuff first, although technically by the time this comes to air, it'll be January, so the election's all kind of old news. But um, still, I, I, I do want to kind of uh, explore a little. You're the one candidate that um, was an upset. You um, beat an incumbent candidate to, to take your seat. I'm, I'm curious as to... Um, you know, it's it's a hard trick, and you know, what's what's your secret? What have you learned from your your election that uh, maybe uh, I don't know if others can duplicate? If we're going to start picking off incumbents in the future, but I mean, in terms of the secret to your success, do do you have any ideas about uh, where that is? Yeah, I, I've been asked that a lot. Um, definitely, a lot of people uh, outside of Ward Six, in particular, were very shocked when they saw that. I had come and snuck in on second place. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it just really comes down to timing and place. For me, I've always been a political spectator, but I've never thought of myself as being political myself. Um, it seemed like people really resonated with my message at the door. I, I pitched myself as an urban designer uh, with, with municipal and private sector experience. I'm relatively young as well, so have a fresh take on how we can approach uh, planning and development. Um, and this is prior to uh, having built 23 kind of <laughs> uh, shell shock all of us here at the city. But yeah, I think it, it really just came down to my message at the door. Um, I'm, I laid out my priorities very clearly. Uh, I, I put a heavy uh, emphasis on a digital, a, like a strong digital presence. Um, mm. and I think that really played a key role to helping people understand who I was because for a lot of people, like I, I'm, I'm a nobody. I just, literally just came on the scene. Uh, people are trying to see who I am uh, from a values and a principles perspective. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was very important that I lay out my priorities and I demonstrated that through putting together a comprehensive platform um, which not a lot of others did. And I, I took time at the door too. I didn't, I didn't limit my conversations with people. I think people really appreciated that, especially the folks out in Courtright Hills who are perpetually having to deal with uh, traffic issues down down <laughs> and Armageddon, as you may know. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I promised anyone anything. I just gave, I just listened and I shared with them, you know, if I didn't have to inherit um, some of the, past decisions this is how i would have gone about uh, certain issues and i think people appreciate that authenticity and like i'm, I'm just very humbled at the end of the day to be in this position because like you said it's no easy task to uh, beat off an incumbent and you know to mark's credit he he's he's a very smart uh, and intellectual uh counselor and he's been there for eight years um 
and he has worked hard behind the scenes and I don't think he gets the credit that he necessarily deserves and he's definitely taken a lot of flack uh, over uh, the last little bit and I think mm. there's a little bit of public uh, disappointment from COVID um, especially that's kind of been thrown into the mix uh, so I have nothing but respect for Mark but I also uh, I think realized that people were looking for something a little different around here and yeah. I was able to provide people with that so I did make a note of that. You said that a lot of people outside of Ward 6 were were shocked, um, which implies that a lot of people inside Ward 6 were not shocked. And I am I, I, I did have my eyes on Ward 6 because I think that of, of sort of all six of our wards, it is kind of the most fickle. I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Yeah. Um, but it, it may come from like a sense of being sort of like the newest area of the city. Um, mm. they're, they're just in, generally in the last four or five elections whether it's been retirement or an incumbent being defeated only one person from ward six goes back to the next council session um so i mean is, is there kind of this general feeling uh in in your ward i mean as compared to someplace like ward five which um has sent the, the same two people back for for several elections now that you know um uh, I, I guess there's a feeling of like trying to find the right combination that can best represent the area yeah, I think for me, what played into my success was bringing in a lot of first-time voters. And the demographics in Ward 6 has changed dramatically, even within the last four years, especially around the South End by Claire and Gordon. There are a lot of people that I've met at the door who have recently purchased a home or uh, started renting just uh, within uh, the start of COVID. So I think... Ward six is interesting. Like no one, there's no particular loyalty to any particular person, mm. and I think the change of demographics as well um, just provides a fresh landscape as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something to consider compared to the older parts of town, for sure. Well, speaking of fresh landscapes, you, you did mention Bill Twenty Three, um, and you you come at this from a a particular point of view you're not just a city councillor and you're not just a new city councillor but you have you know staff experience at a municipality in the planning department so i guess you know in, in trying to you know wear both those hats and and those experiences comfortably on your head at the same time um from your point of view what are like planning departments and in, in ontario's municipalities you know what are they thinking about now that bill 23 is is law and they have to you know, adapt to all these changes, you know, what, what are, the, what are, you know, your colleagues thinking right now? I think just at the outset, like everyone's a little disappointed from a process perspective that there's been such like upheaval and, but I think everyone also recognizes, um, you know, like things have to change as well. Um, but I think we, at the municipality, at a staff level especially, would have appreciated more consultation. A lot of the CAOs uh, across the province haven't been consulted at all when it, this came up. Like It literally came up the day after the election. Mm. And for us, we're just trying to make sense of like how is this is going to affect us from a regulatory perspective. Like, What is our purview now? Like Now that a lot of site plan control is... Uh, essentially being abol abolished because of Bill 23. Um, like, what is our role as planners and uh, as 
uh, municipal staff, right? Um, I don't think anyone's in disagreement that uh, there's a bit of a housing crisis at the moment and that we need to find a way to be more prudent with going about housing. Um, but it involves a more fulsome conversation, right? It's not just black and white. So mm. uh, like, I, I think all of us get the public sentiment, like we need to move things along faster. And like you've perfectly said in the past, we need a new tagline on development, right? Like we can't just be having the same old arguments, right? That, mm. you know, if you're for development, you're automatically um, for the developers. And if you're not, you're automatically a NIMBY, right? Or right. NIMBY or whatever they call it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I do think there's a silver lining to all this, though. Like, mm. amidst all the chaos, there's opportunity for us to really have an honest conversation on what's really important to us. And I think that's kind of reflective in this next council. Um, you know, to my surprise, like, everyone that I've met, especially the new councillors, they've been, they, they've approached a lot of the issues that we've had uh, from a pragmatic perspective, Um and there doesn't seem to be a lot of ideological um, sentiment that's uh, fueling a lot of our decision making. And while still a little early to say, um, I, I do feel very optimistic with this council that we can uh, very, very much be pr proactive and uh, come at the issues um, from a Guelph centric perspective rather than just ward one versus ward six uh, type of right dynamic that you might have been used to before one of the things i will note and i i think we had this conversation before the election about um a, a lot of people especially in your area sort of feeling when these planning proposals come forward and you know the sign goes up and they see like coming to council uh application for you know mid-rise however big it is however many, however many units and they get concerned and there's a kind of lack of communication or a lack of, you know, trading information. And I think this came up with the 140 Haddadi development as well. And I'm wondering now, you're coming at it from a point of view, and I think everyone would agree, like the more information going, you know, changing hands, the better between residents, developers, council, all of that. Bill 23 doesn't seem to make an allowance for that. In fact, I think staff said that, you know, in, in the future, you can look forward to more development applications with less information and i'm and just you know is that going to help the nimby situation or or i guess the the development hesitant situation if we don't want to sort of throw around words like nimby yeah i think when we look at development now it really comes down to the personal relationship staff has with individual developers i think that's really what's going to change the conversations um like i just had a meeting with a uh, fusion homes this morning with dominique and I and they've been approaching a lot of the other ward councillors as well, uh, very proactively, and they've expressed their desire to work with us and truly uh, bring public engagement at the forefront of uh, any major decisions that they make. So, yeah, yeah, folks like Fusion that really want to uh, develop the GIC land, Global uh, mm. Innovation District, GID land, sorry. Yeah. Uh, in a more holistic and fulsome way uh, that respects the natural heritage and the, the adjacent uh, conservatory lands as well. Um, but then you have some that I guess really just have lesser experience with uh, going about site plan control. Uh, and I think that those are the folks that uh, may be a little harder to, I guess, uh, convince. Um, otherwise, when they do bring up 
proposal forward. Um, and we just have to find a way to work around that uh, just through pure goodwill. Um, mm. I guess from a policy perspective, it's going to be very hard for us, but uh, there definitely has to be some advocacy that uh, is really coming at it from like a centrist perspective, right? Like we can't necessarily be going at it from uh, left and right anymore. So I think people are starting to come to grips and understand that this is the new dynamic that we have to do business with through. And um, again, like I have every bit of confidence in our council to be able to have these kind of conversations uh, with the five of us that are re- newly elected. Mm. Uh, time will tell, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of how I um, see things moving forward, right? Like it's really just goodwill and c- collaboration and uh, just out of uh, any developer that would want to work with us, right? Like, you know, we can provide them feedback, but if they don't want to take the feedback, it, it is really, it's really going to be extremely difficult for us to push back, right? Um, right. I was going to say that because, you know, I'm a, I'm a bitter and cynical old man. And the, the, um, the thing about goodwill is, uh, you know, there are no regulations on goodwill. And for every fusion homes who I think are, you know, I, I think they're making an honest effort and they know that they're going to be under the microscope because of being the first developer to, to work in the GID lands. Uh, they know that they're going to be under a lot of scrutiny and will want to put their best face forward. However, you know, there are a lot of developers who know that the rules are now on their side, that they hold the winning hand whenever they roll up to the council chambers and, you know, maybe don't have to play uh, a diplomatic role as, as much as we hope they would. If you know yeah, I mean. no, like totally. I I think that's the fear that's out there right now. Uh, like rightfully so. Um, like all definitions when it comes to affordable housing now being attainable housing. Uh, what is a wetland? <laughs> these are things that uh, people have a lot of fear over. Um, I think I'd like to remind everyone: like we can only control what we can control, and. Mm. I think at the end of the day, we just really have to focus down on those individual relationships we have with developers and builders that come uh, through at the door, right? For a lot of these folks, they just want the assurance that uh, the timelines that are set before them can be met. And at the same time, too, for us, we need a quality product that we can trust uh, to approve, right? Because now... Uh, we're looking at a 90, a 60 to 90 day window to uh, um, accept applications. And a lot, a lot of people don't realize this, but especially in Guelph, our staffing capacity is much lower than a lot of the other GT municipalities. Yet we're expected to provide the standard of service that's equivalent to those municipalities. Not to mention as well, we're essentially a single tier system where it's only really uh, social housing is is what uh, we hand off to the county. So there's a lot on our plate. uh, And I really empathize with our city staff. Um, So I think we have to manage expectations just given the context that we are in. And I think that's part of the communication piece that needs to happen more regularly. Um, So I, I try my best to meet with folks at the door. That's what got me elected, and I'm going to continue to try my best to go door to door and uh, have these kind of honest conversations with people. And the more we have these kind of conversations, the more we realize that we actually have a lot in common. Uh, you know, a lot of the activists that, that we see in town, uh, they're actually 
like very very reasonable people right like i think front-facing just in the media it seems like oh like they're all about you know climate change and and just going green but no realistically uh there's a lot of uh solutions that we can um bring forward from a site plan perspective that it is it is actually very cost effective right mm. but it's just a matter of how we have these kind of conversations right um, mm. so i don't know if i'm being idealistic but <laughs> it really comes down to in my opinion right uh, it can't hurt to be a little idealistic i suppose but um you know we're recording before the holidays um, you're going to be coming right in after the holidays and jumping right into the budget. Uh, so a lot of that's, you know, you mentioned the staffing issue, and I think there's undoubtedly going to be a requirement to uh, on, on the city to sort of staff up a bit more people. More people means more money. And uh, there's already, I think, the 5.1% uh, levy increase on the, the books for 2023. Are you feeling sort of adequately prepared for a lot of these um these these sort of, I, I guess one or one or the other discussions that I think the the budget approval is going to come down to, or is or are you going to be doing a lot of studying over the holidays? <laughs> For me, I'm curious to see what staff puts forward um, in the new year. Um, I think we have to remind everyone that this is a budget reconfirmation, not an entirely new budget that mm. we're proposing. That's right. So there's a lot of background context that like I have to admit I don't like have the full picture for and I think it's going to be up to me to ask those questions when the new budget reconfirmation uh, comes forward in front of council. Mm-hmm. Um but I think like there will be further opportunities for me to ask deeper questions and bring forward proposals uh um just, I think this might be a little premature to do so, like in this budget reconfirmation process. Mm. Like I just, I want to trust staff, and I want to trust that this multi-year budget that's been approved uh, in the last council uh, is going on track. And for me, I rather see things go on track than having to re- do a whole bunch of rework because you know time is money, time is valuable, and time is precious right now to staff. So, right. Um, for me, it's really just about. Uh, getting an understanding of the past context in which decisions were made, not just necessarily going through and um, just creating trouble, right? <laughs> so, yeah, lack of better words. Yeah, yeah I hear you. Uh, it does, you know, I think you might be onto something, though, that, you know, there is a, f- a four-year, multi-year budget that's going to come forward in later in 2023, as well so there's a lot of work uh that's going to go into that too um i'm going to ask you about uh sort of a non-city concern but it it sort of addresses your area directly and that is um the 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 potential redrawing of the ward maps and and both mark and dominique uh testified or i guess uh delegated to to federal commission about redrawing the ward maps but essentially it's you know it's going to be ward six in one federal and provincial riding, and then the rest of Guelph in its own provincial riding. Um, is, is this something uh, you're worried about? The final report isn't coming till February, but I mean, just in terms of, you know, the, the, the whole thing about Ward 6 versus the rest of the city is, <laughs> are you worried about that not helping the situation? Yeah, I actually put out a 
a mini statement of my own uh, shortly after Mark and Dominique uh, testified at the committee. Uh, I was talking to folks at Courtright Hills and this came up and like this directly affects them as well. So yeah, like I share the same concerns. I think like I'm, I'm a little uh, fearful of the rural and urban divide that may take place because of this redistricting. Uh, but you know time will tell right like how this all plays out and if this actually goes forward the way it is um, i personally don't like it mm. but we're in a weird situation because like the south south of guelph um it i think from a social and economic perspective would benefit from having its own mp but we're not at the that population level yet where we mm. can have that but we're not small enough that so that we we can have that so it's a weird situation that we're in um so it, it, i think when it if it does come to pass it really we we just have to make sure that our issues are being advocated for mm. um, front and center right uh, because uh, we are going to make up a huge population uh, number uh, in this new riding if that's going to be the case right and we can't be competing with uh, fergus right um right uh, so I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ambivalent, too, because it means like twice the number of candidates I have to, you know, we have to interview on the show. And uh, <laughs> that's it, 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 you know, doubles my workload. So who knows? Uh, maybe to wrap up uh, sort of in terms of your own kind of personal projects as uh, as a counselor in 2023, what what's kind of on your 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 personal agenda in terms of what you want to do this year yeah so i i think once you know the holiday season you know comes to pass like i'll have a better idea of what i can and can't do um that's that's what i'm quickly learning uh, as a new <laughs> counselor uh i i i'm in this weird situation where you know, i'm still currently employed with the city of brampton at the at the for for the time being in you know, I don't report to anyone above my manager or director. And now I can't, I, I don't necessarily have associations with people below GM. <laughs> so I'm, I'm quickly learning the difference between governance and management. And you know, believe it or not, there's a lot of crossover that people don't realize. Uh, but I'm trying to be as respectful as I can um, to make sure that I don't cross those boundaries, but at the same time, ensure that I'm not just a glorified spokesperson Mm. Uh, on council like i want to be effective as much as i can uh, but there are many different ways to be effective and i think for me i really want to try to help push the narrative that uh you know we need to have more design focus in our policy conversation and governance conversations because especially when it comes to development right um and it's going to be important that we try to push this kind of narrative forward um in the new year when build 23 comes to pass and when we start to see what the regulatory impacts are to us as a municipality. So I think a bit of idealism coming out of me from that standpoint uh, wouldn't hurt as well. Uh, but I am also vice chair of uh, public services now, and I'll be working closely with uh, Kathy Downer. Uh, so I, I'm more curious to see how we can uh, collaborate on the agenda items that come forward um, as well. Uh, I was speaking with uh, some EMS folks uh, just down Clare Road today uh, after I delivered some cookies to them. And 
they're telling me uh, just from top down how understaffed they are and how mm. how the situation like albeit it comes it starts from the provincial level it, it, it's really having an impact on us like as a municipality so i'm more curious to see if there are ways in which we can help alleviate some of those pressures or at least be an advocate for some of these issues that are often unheard um so mm. There's a whole bunch of things, uh, but <laughs> to, to say the least, but I'm I'm still trying to find my bearings. If I'm being completely honest, no, no, and uh, yeah, we're we're not even te- as we're recording, we're not even technically in 2023 yet, and you already have a That's full right. plate. So, uh, <laughs> so Ken, if uh, people want to reach out to you, um, you know, we don't typically ask this on the show, but since you know, you are a new counselor, what what's your what what are your digits? You know, how can people find you out there if they want to? ask a question or get in touch yeah so uh i got a new phone number so it's 226-332-5406 and i'm also rolling out a new website hopefully sometime in the new year and it'll, it's just my name kenyechu.ca k-e-n-y-e-e-c-h-e-w.ca and i'm hoping to just keep an active line of communication and I just try to streamline some city services uh, that I can uh, be a role, uh, a support for. So you can stay on lookout for that. And my email is uh, ken, K-E-N dot C-H-E-W at wealth dot C-A. So if you have any concerns, especially if you're a Ward 6 resident, uh, feel free to uh, just flip me an email. Um, and yeah, I look forward to representing the city uh, these next four years and working with you and having more talks and conversations. <laughs> <with it. laughs> I'm sure we'll have more of these to come. Uh, but, there there yeah. will be many more, but uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time today, Ken. So thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks, Adam. And once again, that was Carly Klassen, Linda Busatil, and Ken Yi Chu. You can hear new interviews every week with Guelph counselors and other government newsmakers on Open Sources Guelph. That's Thursday at 5 p.m. on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca. You can also keep visiting Guelph Politico for all the latest coverage about all the latest city council meetings, and we're going to get back to that next week. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Uh